Welcome to the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson, and today on the show, I'm joined by Mike Kozak. Mike is the owner and head coach of Soar Fitness Systems out of Columbus, Ohio, and he's a good friend of Adarian Bar. In fact, he's been on the show before in the Speed Roundtable episode where I talked to Adarian, Jermaine Dixon, and then Mike about some of Adarian's concepts. And I've known Mike for about the past year, and I'm, he's not on a ton of podcasts, and I really wanted to get him on to talk about utilizing and implementing some of Adarian's concepts in a group setting with young, younger athletes, which is something Mike has been doing for the better part of the last couple of years now. So in this episode, we discuss implementing those principles, such as transverse arch, shin drop, and ipsilateral arm action, among a few other things. We also talk about the Cleveland Browns and Mike's love for them. Thank you. Thank goodness he finally got a good season out of them this year, so I'm sure he's very happy about that. Um, and we hit a couple of other training topics as well in this episode. Mike graduated from Ohio State University in 2001 with a BS in sports performance and coaching. He also got his master's degree from Ohio State as well. He has a CSCS and a couple of other certifications for speed. Um, he's been doing this thing for about 20 years now, and he's worn a lot of different hats. He's, he's done a lot of different things, tried, gone down a lot of different rabbit holes, and it's really cool to hear him uh, go into detail about what's worked and what hasn't for him over the past 20 years. And I think any younger coach could really take a lot from this and realize that you have to try all this stuff for yourself to see what works and what doesn't and what your athletes may or may not value. So it was really great getting Mike's insights on a variety of different training topics uh, in this episode. I think most importantly, it's really cool to hear him talk about how traditional strength and conditioning has kind of taken over in the state of Ohio and high schools have that implemented. So he, as a business owner, has learned how to give athletes something that they're not getting at their high schools. And a lot of that is, in fact, speed training and doing it in this unique way. Uh, make sure you follow Mike at Soar Fitness on Twitter and Instagram. He's a great follow. He's very willing to reach out and, and help you with any questions you might have as he's helped me over the past year. Uh, eternally grateful for Mike uh, and his friendship, and it was really great getting him on the show here today. If you liked the episode, make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. And uh, also very cool, we have a couple potential things in the works here to get the word out on this podcast a little bit more. Uh, but we also need you guys as listeners, so anybody that's listening, guys, gals, whoever it may be, share this with a friend, uh, leave some reviews, spread the word, really appreciate this, and hopefully you enjoy Mike Kozak. 14 years in my old place to uh, uh, inside a volleyball club, which is where I am right now, so the actual physical location and actually being inside someone else's business is something I'm, I'm still getting used to a little bit, but in terms of... Uh, what you're talking about with how I've kind of changed my mindset. For one, we still do traditional lifting because I have parents who pay me to teach their kids how to lift weights and there's no reason to get fancy or reinvent the wheel. We are still doing that stuff. Um, it just came to me about three, probably about five years ago. One thing happened was that the vast majority of my kids in the, that come from the school district where I'm at, started having more and more and more mandatory strength and conditioning to do at the school. So if your coach tells you you gotta be there, you gotta be there. So it's less time to go for one. And for two, I don't wanna, if you're bench and squat and then clean and do whatever it is you're doing at school, I can't keep giving you that same thing here. So I had to find something different to give 
them to say what you're doing at school and what you're doing here is not the same. Okay. For to be brutally honest, I became very bored with traditional strength and conditioning. I just I just found that, you know, as great as one by 20 and triphasic and and conjugate, all these things are. I just started thinking, I'm like, I'm not seeing the results, the the buy the payback for this with some of my kids. They're getting strong in the weight room. I'm increasing bench man. I'm increasing whatever measurements you want to talk about. It just isn't paying off in terms of running faster, okay, and jumping higher. So that's how I started to see me, Joel, and Metadarian and decided, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to fly out and spend a couple of days with the Darian. Came back and it was the absolute perfect fit because one, it was fresh information that reinvigorated me as a coach which is probably the most important thing. And then two, I said, now I have this whole toolbox of things that I can start giving the kids that is going to complement their school regimen. And I know I'm not beating a dead horse by having them do something again. If, if I evaluate a kid and see he's deficient in how he squats, of course, I'm going to help enhance that ability. But now I can give them exercises or drills, whatever you want to call it, that really gives us some some usable results or in, in terms of time or, or whatever you want to talk about on the court, speed wise, reaction wise, um, that clearly is paying off. So when parents are like, Hey, he's got to go to, or she's got to go to school training two, three times a week. Okay. I get it. But we're not providing the same thing. We're doing something different. And then all it takes is the kid, the, the time on the stopwatch to change or the vertical jump to change. And, at a faster rate than it was. And in the private sector, it's pretty simple. You need clients to keep paying you. And uh, when you're giving them something different and able to keep delivering results, that's what it's all about. So. Um, I, obviously, I think novelty is a pretty, a pretty big thing. And I think at strength and conditioning, we tend to kind of miss out on novelty a lot. The other thing that I think that's really interesting with all the stuff I see a Darian doing and some of the stuff I've done working using his principles and I've seen you know, you like just watching your stuff that you post sometimes and talking to you, it seems like you guys are doing a great job and, and myself too, a little bit too, creating people that are not passengers in the speed game, if that makes sense. Like a lot of times these kids just come in, they're expected to, you know, they expect to be given these drills and they'll just automatically be faster. Meanwhile, we're on the other end saying, what do you feel here? How do you think? And sometimes I'll have a kid and I'll be like, how do you feel? And like, I don't even know. And I'm like, well, what were you doing that during that rep, like, oh, I just did it. I'm like, okay, we need to start thinking about it. Like, and I see you guys giving drills that provide context to get them to think, hopefully. And um, I was just interested in kind of like how that process has gone for you over time, like getting kids to become less of a passenger during good, good. sessions. <laughs> good question. Cause it certainly varies by kid. Cause to be <laughs> honest with you, there, there are some that strictly are passengers and ways you got to lead the whole, you, you got to, bring them to the water. You can't force them to drink or whatever. It's basically, I got to trick them into doing the things with whatever concept we're doing. So that's the thing. Our concept this week was timing up swing leg with, with shin drop. That was it. Now, if you can't drop your shins, it's still a good exercise because that's part of the focus. If you can get the shin to drop. Okay. Now we're putting the, the swing, we're tying the opposite swing leg with it. Um, some kids, Hey, how does it feel that they know they come and they talk to me and, and I talk to them bad. And then I said, okay, let's, let's put something on top of this. 
kids I say almost nothing to because when I do, it just seems to make things worse. So it's, here's the instruction, go do it. I'll video a rep or two. We don't get totally consumed with videoing every rep because that just slows things down too much sometimes and you're just not getting enough exercise in. Um, but the goal becomes one, don't make yourself so crazy as a coach that you're chasing every single kid down to make, hey, this crazy, hey, you're shitty, okay? Because they're kids. They're going to have bad reps. So it's, and that's probably what the art of coaching is, or at least, you know, one piece of it. Knowing like, hey, this kid just got, do I something to him that now rolls the dice of it's going to take away what we just gave him? Or do we just say, hey, we got that result for the day. Let's just stay with that, get a couple more reps and, and move on. Um, some kids, I just be like, hey, man, this is just not working for them today. Let's get a couple sprints in to just get some usable exercise. If I ask most of my ju average junior high kids, hey, what do you feel? They're going to be like, I don't know, <laughs> is, is going to be a, a response I get most of the time. So again, can I trick them in to getting them to do it even though they don't feel it? You know, and as time goes on, hopefully I've tricked them into it enough that they just, it becomes an involuntary action. And now we try to give them something else voluntary that, you know, becomes a voluntary instruction. I, I feel like your warmups, you know, you've shared some online and then we talked about them a bit too. Your warmups always kind of set a nice tone. So you talked about like having a theme for the week. Can you kind of take me into like what you're doing in a session to kind of get their minds on the theme and then how you're kind of translating it into actual exercise. Like you said, at some point we have to get them to get some physiological adaptation by just running fast, even if it doesn't. Sure. Sure. And, and, and I'll be honest and say that there are some times I'm like, you know what, Mike, I'm overthinking this whole, everything in the warmup has got to go with the, the flow. You know, it, it doesn't, they're it doesn't have to be like that, but you know, we're kind of out of the A skip, B skip, high knee, butt kicker, karaoke, you know, okay, now let's get into 80%. So we're not doing that, but I'll give you that. So today, most of our kids have more of a multi-directional day, the way our weeks flow. We're early in the week, we're linear. Later in the week, we're more multi-directional, reaction-based. And some kids don't fit into that paradigm if you're track or whatever. And depends on where you're at in your off-season. I might have you do it or I might not. Um, today, we started with some of the Gary Ward's AIM stuff. And I've only taken his online courses. I don't know Gary. But the cogs of being able to hip shift the hip and, and move it with pronation and get your chin and your neck to move with your pelvis, it's not hard stuff physically, but it's hard to time up and you'll get to learn kids can't do it. And since we're going multidirectional, that's what we started with today. Just some standing hip shift type stuff and then some hip swivel type stuff. All it is, we're just warming the pelvis up, freeing it up. From there, we give them some kind of, sometimes we just call it free squat. So you got 30 seconds. You can lateral squat, heels up squat, heels down squat, splits, squat, draw squat, whatever. Just know what your feet are doing and keep moving. Calf to pull calf to hamstring. Kids will you know, do their thing and we'll, we'll kind of coach them. Just each kid kind of has their 
little sequences they go through, but I give them a little bit of freedom on that. Um, we'll mix some RPR in if some kids really like it and they'll just do it on their own. And I tell sometimes I'm like, it's optional because if, as you've seen, some kids intent with that isn't worth it. And so there's no sense in wasting time. Um, and then we get out of that. And then today we did just some shuffle, some shuffle, a couple yards, crossover or side run, break down into a shuffle, come back the other way. But there was a vision component to it where they had to keep their eyes on a dot. And I got a, I got a square, a rectangle, and actually a hole in the wall that are three vision points, depending on the rep. And then there's orange cones on the ground. So my whole thing is you got to keep your eyes on the shape. And you got a peripheral for the orange cones. And we're separating hips from shoulders, which kind of goes into what we did with the, the hip shift type stuff. And that was our warm We did a couple reps of that, put shoes on, and then they did a reaction type thing with like a, one guy was Swiss ball running and the other one was trying to keep up with them laterally. And that was our, our work for the day. And it's cool because that didn't involve a lot of coaching on my part. They just kind of do it. Um, now it's not always like that. And that's kind of what I kind of played around with this summer is some days are instruction based, you know, linear wise, some days we just time. Okay. If we're timing, we're not really instructing. If we're instructing, we're not timing. We might do a reaction, fun, open, almost gameplay type situation laterally, or we might have an instruction day laterally where it's shuffling into a sprint and that's where we're videoing. Um, and so it's a rotation of those kind of days that I just play my cards as, as I feel like it. And I'm not going to lie. I play the long, I play the wrong card a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. And then hopefully you get on fire again. Yeah. Know? I love this, man. I was actually thinking about this the other day, like in the context of a couple kids that I work with is like, we do a lot of instruction and there's some, it comes a time where we should have the rubber meet the road and actually get them out there, get them on the clock, see what's going on, see if we're seeing some real improvements where they don't have to focus on quite so many things. Cause I work with a couple kids that are classic overthinkers. So they love it. We get into the weeds and we have a great time with it, but at the end of the day, like they need to run fast. And sometimes we just need to have them do that. So I think that's awesome. Thank you. Um, now, Getting into some of the principles and stuff, I know in the last episode, we touched on the non-negotiables for us, which are typically going to be transverse arch, athletic posture, and then inside edge. Um, I was curious with the foot stuff. It's something that, to be honest with you, I kind of skip over from time to time because I worry that it's just going to be something that just doesn't capture the kid's imagination. And I was wondering kind of what you do to kind of get them focused on the foot and what draws interest, or is it just something, whether they're interested or not, we're going to find a way to get it done and, and make it happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the non-negotiables definitely, I mean, transverse arch is part of it, but it's really that relationship of base, a big toe to pinky and then back to the heel and then trying to not have toes grip. And then uh, yes, we want inside edge, but it becomes, if you're someone that's heavily pronated, I'm not really trying to do that too much. And again, that's where I, uh, the uh, Gary Ward Ames stuff with the wedges is a nice little tool I can put in for a kid like that. So some days um, we're using a Darian's inserts and base position and working on, you know, transverse arch being the fulcrum point and, and all that kind of stuff. 
the, the bottom line is, yeah, the foot is complicated and we don't want to make it overcomplicated for the kids. Uh, I've said it numerous times. Level one for me is, do you know you have feet and what are they doing? Because most <laughs> kids don't. And that's where in my assessment, hey, just show me some squats and you'll know within three reps that kid is absolutely most of them don't, but some kids just have better control over their feet. And some kids have absolutely zero, right? So it becomes, let's start the session with whether we're just working stuff on wedges, which is more regular gate type stuff versus a Darien stiffening up of the arches and, and all that kind of stuff, either or. Um, regardless, it's a stimulus that gets them to say, okay, here's my feet, here's what they're doing. And it's just reps and reps and reps. And that's why we call it a non-negotiable. They say, and that's why the process is called rewire because it, we're rewiring your brain and getting it on the same page with your feet. That's how I see it. And so every single day is just reps, reps, reps. And we're talking about a three to five minute component of the warm-up, where whether we're on the wedges, whether we're on Adarian's inserts or we're just barefoot and doing some stuff the theme is let's let the feet get set up and build from there you know and then periodically through the course of a session I'm always hey what are your feet doing in your shoe a good reminder is when kids put shoes on and I learned this from Adarian obviously you put shoes on you just put a new floor under your feet Let's now reintroduce your feet to your shoe because you just had the sensation on the wedges. You just had the sensation on the carbon fiber or the turf. You now have a shoe on. So let's feel that, you know, wiggle around and whether they really do or don't, I don't know, but the really good ones do it. Um, and even as simple as something like a split squat or squat, when we are working out, if a kid's backing out of the squat rack, once he sets his feet, the first words out of my mouth are, Find base of big, base of pinky, base of heel, even foot pressure. And it's just a constant theme, constant. That's theme. awesome. That's awesome. So it's boring. It, it's not exciting, but it's a non-negotiable. It has to be there. It yeah. has to. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Now, from this, obviously, and again, something I think we've, I've, I've had a Darien on twice now, and we've kind of established on the show just – setting that transverse arch you even mentioned it allows us to set the fulcrum point there so we can drop into a second class lever mm -hmm. um, whether or not you believe the levers are a thing or not like that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no i do, i i do it's an easy way for me to understand it. exactly same i've here. heard the argument yeah. i've heard the argument against it whatever it, it it's it's just a concept makes us understand it yeah who cares it's a lever if you want to call it something it doesn't matter you yeah. know that's just the, the uh Semantic, I don't know if semantics, semantics and strength and conditioning, man, it gets, <laughs> it gets yeah. crazy. I yeah. don't care what you want to call it. That's what we have decided to use. And it seems to pay off. Now, do my telling my kids first, second class lever? Hell no, they don't. You know, no. I'll ask you. Just you for our intensive and purposes. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh, second class lever. They're like, wow. <laughs> they don't care about that. Right? Yeah. But go, yeah. go on. So, yes, transverse arch. Okay, so, yeah. So, then we're setting that up with the, you know, we're, we're, we're getting into that transverse arch and allowing us to shin drop and whatnot. And obviously, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a learned skill, especially for someone such as myself who spent a long time just pushing out of a start position and not allowing the shin to drop. You've seen a lot of my videos. It's still kind of an ongoing struggle with things are kind of coming along with it. Um, something that's helped me out a lot with it, it's kind of taken my focus off it, but I feel like it still makes it happen is 
kind of getting that compression that Adarian's talking about. So pushing the pelvis back in a start and then letting the xiphoid come down a little bit towards the belly button. And I found like that xiphoid down for me coming especially out of a four point stance does a lot to kind of allow the fall to happen, allow the shin to drop. And I was just curious, like, I've been thinking about it a lot. I can't tell like if there's an order in which we should kind of teach these things or if one will work for one person and you know, another will work for another in terms of uh, the connection. I, in my mind, anyway, there's a connection between that xiphoid down and a shin drop. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Uh, I think you answered your own question. The one, the, so again, they're not negotiable. So the xiphoid's part of posture. Okay. Right. So if you don't have athletic posture, which is the second non-negotiable with the feet, I always look to those two things first. Now the foot, again, I can't really tell what they're doing in their shoe, but I know if you went to your toes. Okay. So athletic posture and feet first if you don't have one of those two i don't even worry about the other two ingredient the next ingredients whatever it is mm -hmm. whatever that is that you're doing worked for you and i will every now and then hit a home run with a kid with the same kind of deal but for every instance of that i have it absolutely doesn't work for the next kid so Basically, what I'm saying is I, if we can get the athletic posture and feet and then we get a shin drop and a hip cycle, if I can get all of those factors working, then things like pelvis and specifically what am I doing with the xiphoid or flap, those things come next. You know, it's like at, at the steak restaurant. That, that, that's like the blue cheese crust and, and that, <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? We got to have the steak, the baked potato, the broccoli, the salad. We got to have that first before we start putting the add-ons on because the add-ons are exactly right. What 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 one kid needs, he what one kid needs, the other kid might already have. But that's the beauty of the rewire process because before, before I even knew a Darian, and what really got me to embrace and, and go out there was, it's all about sequence and timing, and when. So when are you doing the xiphoid or pushing it down? When are you done with that? When, you know what I'm saying? Which are things that in traditional speed training, we were just, I, at least I was chasing, like you said, push and high knee and project and all those things that you, it's almost impossible to make corrections or, or changes on. Now we have this toolbox of, like we said, Flat, xiphoid, hip cycle, pelvic, calf to hamstring, torque, twist the calf. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay, maybe let, I'm going to try this with this. Can yeah, you're going to miss sometimes. Or screw them up. Okay, bring them back and let's let's try something else. Um, so that that becomes a thing. But just not to be redundant, if you don't have base position, posture, and the feet, it doesn't matter about giving those other ones to them. So you're at the point now, you kind of have those two non-negotiables. So you're, you're putting the other pieces on, which is yeah. the compression and xiphoid, which is very important. It kind of goes hand in hand with, with the athletic posture. Um, but also it's sometimes some kids' bodies just can't physically do that either based on their ability to expand. And I, we don't need to get too much into that. Those are kind of 
advanced lifting, but they're very important. They're very important. And if you can do those things well in the weight room, it opens up your ability to enhance with what you just said. Yeah. I just, again, kind of bringing it back to like what my thoughts on it, for sure. I think for me, that shin drop, I understood the concept, but for whatever reason, when I would drop, I would immediately come up and kind of lose that ability to stay low. And so yeah. the Zypho kind of tied it all together for me, but it almost got to the point where it's like, mm -hmm. I just have to think about that and not the shin drop and just let the shin drop occur, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And that became probably involuntary for you because yeah. it used to be voluntary. Yeah. That's important. And I think that's where Darian started talking about alignment. And I kind of think about it like the xiphoid and uh, knees are kneecaps are flashlights and they got to stay aligned on top of each other. Because if that xiphoid starts to then really point down at the ground and the shins going, now we got a mismatch and we're out of alignment. Um, that's just kind of how I, how I see it. Now, what, what is your upper body orientation? If you're somebody that's super closed and narrow up top, <laughs> trying to keep that xiphoid popped out, it's not easy. Um, and getting them to flap and get their arms behind much harder than someone that kind of has more of that military type posture. So that, that's kind of what I mean is, uh, you know, sometimes that xiphoid cue for you and how you're oriented is working really well. Uh, for some kids, for instance, a kid I just had today, it's just not, we can't go there right now. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, another thing that Darian's talked about a lot, and I ha I've talked to him a little, and I think I understand the concept, but I was wondering if you could shed some more light, some more light on it for me, is that it's asymmetrical running. Um, uh -huh. And it seems like kind of the thought process is one leg is going to be more built for, for, length and the other more built for frequency and you kind of almost see it now that i've watched for him like you see it in everybody like i see it in my i'm an easy one actually i mean like my left leg or i'm sorry my right leg i can get out there nice i can cast the shin a little bit the left leg's just a quick cycle and done quick cycle and done so i was kind of curious like obviously i don't see that being necessarily an issue but is there a point for you i guess get, i guess just get your overall thoughts on it and maybe is there a point for you where it could potentially be an issue if the asymmetry is like incredibly large. Well, it's only an issue if there's pain, in my opinion, unless we're seeing just incredibly funky movements. Okay. <laughs> and, and what is, and what is the tap? What is your sport? I, you know, they always talk both forever. They've talked about being asymmetrical running. You know, has to run a straight line. If he had to cut and run and jump and, and, you know, do something else, maybe his issue would have been problematic. Maybe that's why he didn't become a pro soccer player. Who knows? Um, but uh, the asymmetrical pattern, for one, I, Darian talked about you have one foot that is a that goes from class one to class two, and sometimes you have a foot that's strictly a class two, which means that foot you don't have much time on. The other one you do. So, But you put those pairs together and almost get like a quick, longer, quick, longer type thing or one foot's more of a power foot, one foot's more elastic. You can think of it like that. Um, I would only speak like that to my kids that really are in tune with everything that I've already given them. And maybe I'm really dialing them into the first 10 yards of their 40 start, you know, and then as they move on, it, it is what it is. Um, how limited you are in flexion, like if you get into the PRI stuff in the left AIC, you know, you'll know that that a straight leg raise, your left leg is going to be limited. Thus, you're not going to have as much hip flexion ability on that side. 
well, that probably matches up. That matches up well for me because my right foot is my strictly class two lever side. I don't have much time on that. And I also don't have the ability to go high knee on the left side. So that's just a quick turnover for me. So if you can kind of understand and put those puzzle pieces together where right hits, left comes through, left hits, right come through is just one stride where they're, all those pieces come together as opposed to left and right have to look the same is not not the thing yeah i think know, just given then, given the natural asymmetries of the body if you follow pri it, ma it makes a ton of sense and that's where i was like adarian doesn't realize but he's on like what a lot of these models are are talking about he just isn't speaking the same language but like he's on he, on he isn't and, and, yeah. and he's not going and he's not going to no that's fine so yeah. <laughs> it, 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 right and the other guys aren't going to do it i mean in the perfect world we get them all in the same room and it, you know maybe it would be like uh Ghostbusters where the gatekeeper and the, I, I don't know if you remember that. They come together and the end of the, I don't remember exactly how the movie goes, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. You bring those minds together. It's just never, it's, it's not going to happen. So it's for people like us who continually seek knowledge and understand that these all have something to offer. Okay. How do we take these and just kind of mesh them together? And for me, it's you, you take that kind of PRI ish or, uh, you know, the, the compressive expansive model type stuff and you mold your weight room work to that. And then on the speed side, you use our rewire concepts and see what happens. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, and hopefully there you'll, most of these kids, their bodies are changing. Right. So even though I'm not wholesale, like uh, intentfully trying to increase mobility if we're doing the right things in the weight room and getting the right motions and ability to expand or compress or whatever it is over time we're doing that stuff right of course it's going to have an impact on how we run you know because yeah. they're moldable bodies for someone like myself that's 43 i don't know i can tell you since i've really been doing a lot of that with my current therapist and during stuff, my body feels at 43 to be able to run sprints and still do jumps and stuff like that and not have uh, SI pain. I'm happy. Yeah, so. I hit I hit 31 this year. I feel the same way, honestly. Like I feel I have trained less in the weight room this year than I ever have, but mostly because of the pandemic. But um, um, uh, I feel a lot more athletic in a lot of ways, um, just with the things that I can do with my body that I couldn't do before. Um, and so I think that is, that is pretty cool to feel. And, um, just back on the, on the, uh, asymmetrical stuff, I am interested. So like, like we talked, like you just mentioned on the left side, given that left AIC and our inability to kind of like get into a lot of hip flexion, we, you, you, you would say we have a less time on that leg if we're a traditional left AIC. Um, I can say me personally just on my orientation mm -hmm. because there's a lot to that whole where is compression taking place i'm highly lordotic or extended my on, on that left side and that was obviously i had a compression strategy there forever what is his years of playing baseball softball golf and rotating heavy that way and then I, became, I, I don't know why but that's just just what it is for me and i know based on the work with my therapist that I am limited in flexion on that side. So it only makes sense. So when I go to sprint, it's just not, not there. Yeah. Um, whereas on the other side, 
I actually have a little bit more first class leverability on my left side that gives me a little bit more time. I have more flexion on my right. So that stride, I open up and you could say get bigger, split the scissors wider, whatever you want to say. I have that ability to, or more ability to do that on the left side mm-hmm. when my left foot's on the ground mm-hmm. and my oh, right leg swing. That's just me, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's fun to be able to just say, okay, this guy's like me, this kid's like me, I'm going to do this. It's not that simple. And, and in the perfect world, every kid would see my therapist, get the measurements, send me the thing, <laughs> say, hey, the left, here's right. And, but, you know, I don't know exactly. I've seen some of your posts. It looks like you were, were you working with pro ba- or potential pro basketball players that got drafted? Yeah, we had, we had like, over there. I think we had like seven or eight guys get drafted. It was pretty awesome. So, yeah, it was dope. Well, that's, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. I would imagine you guys are operating in some sort of synergy with therapists and all that like that. You know, with my average kid who's paying me for group training, I'm going to get into my prices, but I don't have time <laughs> to do that. For, and, and nor should I. I, I personally am not going to lay. And I almost went down that road when I learned about PRI because I thought it was at that point in time, this is my game changer. And I'm starting to do extension drop tests and advice. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm yeah. out there. You know, I'm trying to yeah. measure these. I'm like, this is not, I'm out of my scope. And now I'm ignoring kids that are in the class because I'm trying to measure this kid. I'm like, I got to stop this. And like I said, so one, if you're not in pain, it might have a funky look to it. And hopefully we do all the right things and that gets better. If you are in pain, I try to get you to somebody I know that can get me that information to make the necessary changes, you know, that eventually mm-hmm. one, get you out of pain and two, get us better quality. Movement. So, so let's look at the concept of having time or not having time. And it, it doesn't have to necessarily be asymmetrical, but I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. What, what are you seeing? Take me through when someone does not have time, what are you seeing happen maybe up the chain? Like, or, or like starting it from the ground and oh, working your way up. Oh, oh, I gotcha. Uh, well, so in the ideal situation, that shin drops, you know, that calf works, the butt comes over the top. And then that's, let's just say that that's with the right foot on the ground, that left swing leg, it's got to be in place to catch that impulse. Okay, which the impulse would be the amount of time you sit on your foot, your body weight comes over and pulls your heel up. Well, it either becomes this. You you don't do the right things with your foot and shin, and that shin snaps back to vertical. Boom, out of time. Or you do the right things with it, but the swing leg isn't in place to catch it. Boom, out of time. Shin's going to go back. And then that's what I say, the body becomes desperate at that point because it has to do something, which is typically the swing leg is probably going to extend the knee before it extends the hip, and then you get into bad casting. And then you end up being and tall kind of instead of an athletic – you lose posture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you're, and you're kicking the ground, which is maybe hard for me to sum up without uh, – you know how if the swing leg is in place – the foot is in the air and starts coming back to you as you're running over it, right? Well, a lot of kids in the moment, when I say in that moment of disparity, when they run out of time for whatever reason, that swing leg, they will start extending the knee before that leg is anywhere near in place. And they end up, if you put a soccer ball on the ground or visualize a soccer ball, 
the foot would be kicking the soccer ball forward as it comes to the ground, which is not a good situation. You're essentially stabbing the ground mm -hmm. with your toes, which if you're not savvy enough with video and, and, and to be able to look, you're going to be like, oh, that's a great shin angle because the shin will be angled. I don't know what they say, positive angle, negative, whatever. It is aligned towards yeah. the finish line. The problem is it's because the foot stabs the ground. It's not because the foot comes around, you sit on the foot, and then the shin drops. Does I that see. make sense? That does That does make sense. So you're going to see it, like you said, it might look right, but the giveaway is going to be the knee being extended before the hip and then losing posture. Yes, and, and the and legs. Yeah. The shin might drop after that, but it doesn't really matter because we've killed the subsequent fall if that makes sense right right and, and it's probably not going to drop if you kick the ground because it's already at the end oh true true okay you know okay. what i mean mm -hmm. and now you're on your toes you can't possibly be have pressure on the foot so that kicking the ground is is a good i mean that's one that you kind of really got to have the ability to, to have slow motion and two you got to really look for it because at times if I'm like, oh, wow, that looked great, and go back, like, oh, wait a second. And those are just little enhancements. Yeah. Because I mean, it's going to happen, right? But, uh, yeah, that, that's one thing that definitely happens as you get out of the time. So what are the remedies for that? Like I said some kids don't have time to go high knee, or usually it's because they haven't recovered that foot off the ground and gone calf to hamstring fast enough to get that leg moving in the air it's it's like a chicken or the egg yeah. type scenario yeah you know? but any of them negate that's uh that's, that's, that's you, says any of them that's it that's interesting though that you bring that up so <laughs> um <laughs> um uh, i'm curious with the whole calf to hamstring thing i've noticed like when we see a stumble off a start i consider mm -hmm. that to be like a good thing for the most part usually i think i feel like we've then captured we've we've hit an impulse in terms of the shin drop and everything, but we just didn't catch it because we didn't spin fast enough with that calf to hamstring. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, I would say, um, because what, what had there's why well, I said two things can happen, uh, either becomes a good fall or, or a bad and the bad would be your body does something desperate, which reaches out to save you, which is that I believe it's part of that whole stumble reflex. That kind of yeah, yeah, that yeah. stuff is kind of interesting, but you know, that's where remove replace and all that stuff kind of comes in but yeah a lot of fast people i tell my kids they stumble but what do they do they run through it you know and they they catch it and keep going and someone who's not very athletic or not very fast what do they do they stumble and then they <laughs> kick out and then they're essentially walk and then they get tall and all in an effect to not fall on their face which is a good thing but it's it's, it's not fast you know that's why i do tell kids all the time if you fall on your face i will cheer um now eventually <laughs> we don't want to keep falling on your face but that's just popping off the, you popped off your brakes. You, 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 you went. So. Um, kind of summing all of this up then one thing I've noticed been moving away from the traditional sprint stuff where I push, it's very front side dominant. I spend a lot more time on the ground. Um, do you, one thing I've noticed, especially like in the middle of this transition for me is that, I lost a lot of, I was covering less ground through a 10 yard effort, if that makes sense. I think I've kind of pulled that back now as I've gone, but have you seen like, as you introduce some of these concepts sometimes, like the, especially cycling and, and 
everything. It almost seems a little bit more frequency dominant. And you, you notice that kids sometimes lose a little bit of length on it, which is not necessarily a problem. I'm just curious if you see that trend. Well, yeah, they can because their stride length is erroneous. It's not, it's not benefiting them. It's slowing yeah. them down. So we have to take something away, which is it, are they getting this poor stride length because they're pushing too hard and extending on the backside too much? Or are they extending the knee before they extend the hip and cycle in front? It's, it's one of probably a combination of both. Um, but uh, yeah, we got to take that away. And what we have to get them is that sensation now of sitting on their foot, bringing their body weight over their foot, pulling it off, getting it to the other side. And whether that's through squatted running or running with the Swiss ball, we're doing shin drop drills or crawling, whatever works. Um, that's what we have to do. And then the stride length should tip. Uh, you, look, you're really good athletes who already run well, and you're just making tweaks. Once they get that there, there should be no, you really shouldn't even have to, yeah. to coach it. Right. And then the kids that don't, in time, as they start to speed up their actions, that stride length should then come to something that, that should be where it's at. Because like I said, that swing leg should be tied to the stance leg impulse and, mm -hmm. and shin drop, mm -hmm. you know? And then it's, it's, and we've already covered, you know, some people are going to be have the ability to open their scissors and get more. And the ones, those are your fast, really, really fast ones. You know, but if you're a team sport athlete, soccer player, and you don't have the ability to do that. I train a lot of kids that are really, really good field sports players that don't have a ton of stride length. And I don't worry about it too much. Again, they're pain free. They're strong enough. They play sports. They're all district, whatever. They're going to play, you know, someone going to play college. I have no reason to worry about it. Yeah. You know, because when they're making plays. Yeah. I feel like. Feel like playing with a ball can also kind of affect that anyway like you're all you're not you're going to do things differently in possession of a ball whether you're carrying one or have one at your feet or playing basketball it's going to change how how that works anyway like you're it's never really a length game for these guys because there's always the threat of having to change directions right so well that's just the thing as we say just run well run well if you got to move laterally out it's still running um remove replace athletic posture, all those things are still in place. You know, it's just the, the best athletes know how to push the gas pedal and do it when they need to. And if they really need to open up, they just do it. Um, you know, if we're talking about really grooming a hundred meter kid who let's just say runs 12, eight, and we're trying to get them to, to something else. Well, now we probably got to spend more time on those details because that's their sport. Yeah. There's only one thing. How fast do <laughs> yeah. you run? Which is a combination of frequency and stride length. Nobody's standing on the court with a stopwatch like, oh, you know, LeBron did not get down the court <laughs> that fast on this one. Let's take away. No way. He just freaking just pounded in someone's face and galloped back down the court, you know? So I've seen, I've seen, like I said, a lot of differences on my stride length as I've gotten more comfortable with it as well. And even watching a dairy and like, I've noticed his stride length. If you watch all his videos has started to like open up a ton. Like he's just found a way now to like take all the concepts 
the timing is so good. And I think that's ultimately the thing, like everybody I have on, we always talk about this, like the timing, once you understand the timing, it opens up like a whole new world of, of options for you. I feel like, and Darian's opened him up and you see like, he's got some ridiculous stride length now. He does. And let's understand that Darian was a borderline. I mean, he was elite in most people's definition. He ran a 10 two. Yeah. He was a borderline Olympic triple jumper. He's got I me. Mean, on my best day ever, it's never, yeah. it's never going to look <laughs> it's a, it's it's never gonna look like that. <laughs> you know, so, um, and then, yeah, that's what he says. Yeah, don't try to copy me. Look at, I mean, he's, he's, he's a special cat. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, for me, it's just, I'll video some reps and look at myself, be like, ah, I usually violated a non-negotiable. Let's get that down. And then Darian and I yesterday were playing with some, like, try to turn your body into an airplane as you're dropping down and turning the torso. <laughs> and get it. But, but those are just, those are fun things. Cause ultimately for me and you, it's just exercise. Yeah. But to be able to video yourself, go back and be like, yeah, I killed that. And every now and then run some time tens, but like, Oh, you know, I ran reasonable times. It's, it's fun. Um, to, to do that and it's it's usable beneficial exercise as opposed to just mundane running but yeah if you can put all the ingredients together like i said if you have the non-negotiables and you put the hip cycle and the shin drop on top of it you should get the str- you should get it, it sets you up for all of those things yeah yeah no 100 percent. now one of the other things i want to talk about was the um the arm action side of things i i think a little bit about that honestly that was one of my limiting factors for why i'd kill a lot of stuff with my arm like just crossing the body a little bit and it would kind of tend to make everything kind of straighten out in the back over push and then i'd run out of time and i just have to get the other foot down and it would just kill everything mm-hmm. it almost it was almost like restarting on the second step <laughs> you know it was ridiculous right, but right. Um, oh for sure but i've noticed and you've done some of these drills too like just getting some like holding a ball in one hand and then doing some like single arm stuff right where we're kind of working that ipsilateral pattern um, of like mm-hmm. just pulling down with the right at and then bringing up the right leg at the same time. Um, I've noticed a lot, like it, it's definitely kept things for me like more in line and I definitely feel everything's better timing wise. What are kind of some of your go-tos to kind of get that ipsilateral pattern across uh, to kids with the, with the arm action? Uh, you know, the, the, the one arm run is a good one. Because if anything, it gives us one thought, which is what we want. So I'll say, hey, this is my favorite. It's my favorite exercise. Run as fast as you can with your right arm. <laughs> but, you know, we'll look at I won't say much other than that. But then if we start to see that elbow drift into the front side, like we talk about, then that's what Tom wants. Curl that back to you fast. I don't care what you do with your arm behind you. Just bring the elbow back into the body. And really just, just ride it ride it almost like you're on a horse and you know like uh, how they be, that, that's it just ride that arm okay and we, hey this is our second favorite exercise run as fast as you can with your left arm a couple reps so you should know one might feel different than the other that's okay you should un, you should get in tune with that um you know from from the ipsilateral side of things which i assume you mean timing up that when the right arm's in the back and the right leg's in the front or or, or vice versa um, we might do something in warm up like that, um, where maybe we're doing some base position stuff and we're, we, we might add that on top of it for a kid who has all the other concepts. 
Um, I like, we've talked about flapjacks, which is basically instead of a jumping jack with arms coming over the head, we're just taking elbows away from the body and bringing them back in. That just times up everything meeting at home. Because ultimately, that's the main thing I look at is everything getting home on time, which is elbows meeting center of the body, right at foot contest, so right elbows meeting center or right elbows meeting rib as right foot is making contact, right? Everything is home on time. If it's not home on time, I got to figure out, okay, why is it not? And let, let's figure out. And so those might honestly become little exercises I'll put in a kid's program, especially if they're training at school. Um, and it's, it's hard to describe that stuff because the little nuances of it per kid are, are different. You know, it could be a little falling drill or, could be as simple as a single leg hurdle hop where we're timing up. Where's the elbow hitting the body at impact of each of those, those hops. Yeah. So hopefully I, that, that makes sense. No, that does. I, I love all this. Cause I think ultimately at the end of the day, and I, something I posted about before all the drills we do should potentiate something, right? It should, mm-hmm. it should clue the kids in or naturally translate to something that's going on in the intended drill. And that's something that in a lot of cases, like the A skips, the B skips, it just doesn't do. So, yeah. No, and, and that's exercise. I told a kid today, he was, we were doing like a rushing lunge, and he did. He had a hurdle hop. And this is a kid that's heavily closed or narrow in the front, and his shoulders are forced. So he has a hard time getting his arms to the backside to begin with. So I constantly have to remind him, but like most kids, you just started going through the motions of doing a hurdle hop and stabbing the ground. So yeah, you are jumping over the hurdle, but what is your intent? And that's why some, that is the difference between exercise, which is me putting a bunch of stuff on the board. Are you going to school doing that? You'll get, you'll sweat and it's hard. Or are we doing intentful exercise that gets us a result? And that's what your parents are paying us for. Yeah. And uh, well, hopefully, hopefully the amount of times I need to, yeah, <laughs> well, well they are because I'm not training one for free. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, hopefully the amount of times I need to remind you of that reduces over time and you train a lot. There's some kids you never have to say that to. And then there's some kids you just gotta be like, you know what? I got to walk away from this kid today. Cause he's not getting it. And <laughs> I don't want to frustrate them or make them feel bad because nobody wins at that point in time. Because he's he or she's either not getting it because they don't understand or because they're not focused or they're not very athletic or they had a bad day or usually a combination of all those things. Yeah. And me constantly, hey, you got two or three times. It's just like your parents. They've already told you three times to pick up your room. Fourth time, you're probably in some hot water. You know, (laughs) for me, two or three times, hands off, get into your sheet. I don't really want to have to say much more to you today because nobody's going to win. And then ultimately I try to come back and say, Hey, good job. Give them something, you know, the compliment sandwich or whatever. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. really good job on that alternate dumbbell incline press you just did, which, you know, shouldn't be botched anyways, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's get him pumped up so he doesn't go home saying, hey, Mike hates me and I don't want to go to SOAR anymore. Yeah. You know, I bring him back, talk him up. Okay, we're going to get this right and move on, fight another day. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very important, too. It's something that, like, now that I'm on the private side, it's something I have to be mindful of all the time, too. It's not 
it's not the dictatorship that is college strength and conditioning. So, no, not no, that it was that for me, the, but you know. <laughs> and I've never seen, I've never been on that. I've done some team stuff with high schools, but I've never been on that, that other side. And so both have, you know, things that are easier to do and things that are, that are more, it's harder to individualize. In oh yes. Oh yes. Aspect. Very hard. My side it is easier you know, but I can't also make you scream at you or threaten you with playing time or any of those things because I don't control any of those yeah. things. Yeah. And I get people, I said, your parents pay me regardless. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm going to do everything I can to get you better, but there's a point in time where you're just going to say, you know what, it's not, it's not happening today. You still can get some exercise in and build up some confidence before you leave. 100%, man. 100%. Now, last question for me. Um, I've been, we do a ton of plyos where I'm at now. And um, obviously like, I think, I think they're taught very well where we are. I absolutely love it. But I was curious, uh, for example, like a standing box jump, very class one in a lot of cases, I would imagine uh, of a, of a, of a jump. Would that be accurate in saying or no? You mean class one, like the lever system? The lever system. Yeah. Well, it depends on how you do it. exactly so this is what i want to get into yeah (laughs) so here's the thing that's a jump and not a plyometric Mm -hmm. because there's no for sure for sure there's no amortization for any of that so i don't do box jumps like that i don't not absolutes i actually just put in a kid's program who would be a very underdeveloped never worked out 13 year old that that is just a good place for him to start so if we, right now we do box jumping, it's with a horizontal emphasis. So we make it a class two. We sit down, shins go forward. We bring butt over the top. We jump forward. So we only do it to a 12 to 18 inch box, but we're hip cycling in the air and we're actually making it a running drill. Yeah. Okay. A regular box jump and some circles of just chasing a 48 inch box jump. No, we're not doing any of that. Um, yeah, it's probably class one, which is fine if you, you want to do it. I don't see any return on those to standing vertical jumps or anything. And that's, again, to me, that's just exercise. So in our program, yes, we do jumps and we do plyometrics. And that horizontal box jump is one jump that we do. Um, we have a jump that I call rudiment two. I don't know why I call it, but it's literally in two steps. It's a, it's a run and well, you know, I called it that because I thought it built us to better bounding and I don't know whether it does or not. It's basically a running long jump or like you're going to shoot a layup, get in your sprint stance, start on your left leg. The next time your left leg comes down, you're jumping off of it. I tell kids, it's like, you're trying to run and jump off a cliff. You know, okay. you got to build up some speed and you got to get up or you're going to fall down. You're not going to make it. Um, that's not a plyometric. It's a running jump, which is an athletic movement. So that's something a lot of my young kids do. And then my volleyball players might make it more into something that's more specific to what they call a slide jump. Yeah. Um, we might do, and when I, we're doing them, we're doing like two sets of three each side, especially my higher level volleyball girls that are already playing tons of volleyball. They don't need to do a ton of it. So, so, so with the, with the jump stuff that I'm curious, like when you start going to some of these other things, is it always in mind of getting to class two or are there some cases like, let's say it's like an approach jump or something like that. I, I just don't visualize this very well in my own head. So I'm curious when oh, you like, watch, like, let's say you watch an elite athlete do an approach jump, like a, like an NBA player mm-hmm. or something like that. 
are you seeing a shift for, uh, uh, like a shin angle change there or is it everything oh, in the penultimate step 100 percent? okay yes they're not really pushing over it mm-hmm. um now even at you know when the second the last foot comes down there's if you're gonna jump so we'll do approach jumps for distance and approach jumps for peak height just to mesh it up and what dictates the difference is delaying or speeding up when the last leg redirects you upwards, which that would probably strictly be a class one type leg. But that's what I was kind I, of getting honest, at. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't cloud my mind. I don't worry about it too much. I know what I need it, want it to look like. It's going to look a little different per kid. And some of my kids, like my lacrosse kids and baseball kids, they don't do those exercises well, but as I said, this good athletes can do it, and I'm not going to force you into a look, it's got to look perfect, but we're going to do it because it, it's just good athleticism, and I like the idea of auto-regulating jumps to dictate how much volume we're going to do. So if I give you, let's just say 10 feet is your max touch height, and you hit 10, 1, 10, 2, we're going to keep going, and then once you bottom out and go back to something, then we're done for the day and we had a nice day or if you come in and you only hit nine seven we're not doing any play. <laughs> you know i'll give yeah, you an, yeah another shot maybe you had a bad rep we're not we're, we're not doing any of that like again especially with like my volleyball girls who are doing tons of that on their own but in terms of dictating between class one and class two all i'll say is if you struggle with the shin drop and you're someone that goes class one highly vertical i'm not going to give you a ton of pogo type stuff because you're that's just solidifying what I'm already trying to get you out of. Yeah. So then we're going to do more shin drop bunny and what I call impulse type throws and squatted bounding type stuff. Be- and we're not going to measure four jump on the jump mat. Cause I know you're already good at it because you're stepping and it's that. So that's where I, I dictate, but in terms of watch, I'm not, you know, I, I know what each kid has on their menu for a reason. Yeah. Um, and most of my young kids, they get a combination of all because what do they need? Robust. Yeah. Variability. You no, that, that, that cleared that current... up a lot. That good. cleared that yeah. up a lot my, for me. Yeah. Good. Cause my current track girl who goes vert and she's just toes. And again, she's just had poor running patterns forever. Not forever. Just from the time I've seen her to now, yeah. I know that things like that aren't helping. So we're taking it out. It's a waste of time. Yeah. It's it, okay, great. We did this great looking pogo. It looks awesome if I put it on Instagram. That exercise is not going to translate to her running a faster 100 meter. 100%. Yeah, 100%. No, that's awesome, man. Now that cleared that up a ton for me. That's kind of a question I've had scrambling around in the back of my mind for the last couple of weeks. So it's. Uh, well, I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's traditional plyometrics sometimes aren't the answer for a more advanced athlete that's trying to enhance yeah. something. Else. Yeah. What are, what are, what are the shortcomings and who can we use it for exactly? Cause I don't think they're useless at all. I think they're great, but I think in some cases, no. especially if we're looking at it from this lens, it's can be a little bit redundant to what they're already doing. So yeah. 100%. Sure. If you're already really stiff, I'll tell you, I'm the last guy that needs to be doing continuous plyometrics. <laughs> oh, I, I did. I'm stiff as, stiff as hell. Uh, I don't need to be doing any of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool, man. Now, uh, before I let you go, thoughts on the Browns this year? Are we, uh, uh, are we breaking over uh, the top here or is Baker? Well, not there? what's over the top? I, 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 well, Miles Garrett being on oh, the COVID yeah. list is not helping yeah. anything tomorrow. We need him. You know what, man, with, with years of being 0 and 16 and one and 15, whatever, six and three, however it comes about, 
Um, I'm happy with it, but I'm also a very realistic fan. We're not, we're not at that level to, to, to beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh in a, in a playoff game. I, I, I don't think there's too many stars that would need to be aligned. Um, Baker needs more time in the system. And I think we, we need to give him that. Um, is he going to be Pat Mahomes at this point? I think we would say, say probably not. But as I'm looking at you, I see you with the Bills jacket on. I assume that I that that that's that's uh, that's a secondary team. That, that your, is uh, football team. The foot the Washington Footballs are my team. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're a special bunch this year. I mean, it's the same. It's almost honestly the same story as the Browns. My whole life. Like, I mean, they won the Super Bowl when I was two. I think since then we've won what well, like two so playoff it's, games. It's immediately, not the same story. Oh, okay, you okay. just said you've won. <laughs> You've won multiple Super Bowls, and I love the Skins as a kid, man. I love John Riggins, oh, and yeah. I always rooted for them because I hated the Broncos so much because they – so the year the Skins beat the, drive, the Broncos right? – well, that was the fumble year. Okay, okay. The year the Skins beat the Broncos. I always rooted for the NFC team because I hated – you know, it, it's kind of – two of the best athletes of my youth, Michael Jordan and John Elway – have had multiple historic moments against you. against my <laughs> teams, you know. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. The, it is, it is what it is. The Bills are the Bills are a secondary team. I worked for them, Rex Ryan's last year. Boy, do you remember that speech he gave uh, that year? It was his last year, and he's like, "I stand here and I tell you who the fuck I am." Like, you remember that one? <laughs> you remember that one? I, I was I was in the room. What year, what year would that have been? That was 2016. I was in the room for that. It was hysterical. It was so funny. Oh, <laughs> it was oh great. no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, – yeah, Browns and Bills. Now, there's fairly similar minus the four Super Bowls you've been to. But uh, <laughs> I've been to many Browns-Bills Browns games, and I can tell you oh, Bills dude. fans get after it. Bro, the tailgates. <laughs> I, I'm not the even – mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've seen some. Jumping. I've seen Ooh. some things, man. I've seen some things. I'll tell you off the air because it's it's and, not. And, and, as have I, and maybe that could be a, a special, uh, different uh, podcast. Dude, the bonus yes. content, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Dude, Mike, where can the people find you on uh, on Instagram, social media, all that stuff? At uh, Sore Fitness is Instagram. Um, I believe at Sore Fitness is also my Twitter. I will say. My Instagram is heavily training oriented. My Twitter, and it even says Cleveland till I die, F a burpee. So, and so you're going to get silliness, you're going to get some training, and you're going to get a lot of Cleveland sports. So if you don't want to, if you're looking at why on a Sunday, why am I tweeting when I'm tweeting? It's because I'm catered more towards, you know, Browns and Cleveland centric, where my Instagram is more heavily rewire and, uh, you know, training information. So. Um, and then the website soarcolumbus.com here in Columbus, Ohio. So. Yeah, make sure if you're in the area, go check them out. Mike, dude, I really appreciate it. I've learned a ton from you, um, you and Daria and Jermaine, all those guys, and truly appreciate all you guys have done for me. But last year has been way different for me as a coach because of you guys. So thank That's you. That's fun, man. And yeah. like I said, the key word is we all have learned from a Darian, and we yeah. are continuing because the main thing is a Darian is always learning. He never stops. So we're yeah. <laughs> always trying. And because he's not going to, and neither is Bill Hartman or any of these other great minds, they're never going to be like, hey, I figured it out. This yeah. is it. Yep. This is the final. This is the final piece. They're not going to. No, no. They need to continue to enhance, and that's what makes them great. And that's why we're just trying to 
trying to put the pieces together of what they're laying out. So. Absolutely, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate the time. <laughs> no problem, man. Ton of fun. Yep.